Tonight's sermon comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. You ever wonder why people do things? Just around you. You ever wonder, just like, why did they do that? Like, what, was, what were they thinking? Have you ever said that to yourself? What were they thinking? And a lot of times what we're doing and when, we're, when we're having those kind of conversations with ourselves is we're trying to unearth what's driving that person, what their motives are, like what animates and drives some of the people around us. Don't, aren't you curious? <laughs> Haven't you wondered? Haven't you tried to suss it out? You know, uh, trying to figure out people's motives is dangerous business. You've got to be very careful. And there's a couple reasons you should be careful, and some of them just have to do with wisdom. But let me, let me assure you, the scriptures tell you you should be careful. In Proverbs 18, it's, the scriptures tell you that, look, man's, man's mouth, a man's mouth, a woman's mouth is the same way. It's like a deep water. Very hard to get to the bottom of deep water. You don't know what's behind it. Proverbs 20 says that... Uh, that uh, yeah, man's heart is a deep water, and only a wise man can draw it out. The intentions of a man decides that, not his mouth. His intentions are deep waters. Why is, why is figuring out motives so difficult? Well, one of the dangers that constantly presents itself to us is projection. Are you familiar with this idea of projecting? So you see somebody doing something. You see somebody kicking a dog, and you figure, what would you be thinking if you were kicking the dog? Like, why would you do it? And you figure, well, whatever reason I have that I would do it, that's why he's doing it. And a lot of times when we do this, maybe kicking dogs, not, oh, yeah, I've got this terrible look on your face. Let me, think of a better, let me think of a better illustration than that. But that's the one that came to mind. Sorry. So anyway, whatever it is, we look at somebody and we wonder why. We wonder why. And often we tell on ourselves. Right in this moment, we tell on ourselves. Because what we really, all we've done is expose what we would have done, what we would be thinking if we were doing what that person was doing. In other words, we tell on ourselves all the time. It's a little tell in your mind. In fact, you pay attention to yourself. You can learn something about yourself. You catch somebody going, man, I can't believe he hates people that way. Well, maybe, maybe you're projecting something. It's guesswork. It's guesswork, and we need wisdom. Unless somebody tells us. Unless they just come out and say, you know, the reason I'm doing this is, bam, you know, unless somebody advertises. And that's kind of the way God approaches us. And that's the picture here. I have this picture, if I can't suss out Corey's motives, you can imagine I have a much harder time with God's motives. One of the things that's beautiful in our scripture is God tells on us. He tells you why he does things. He tells you the purposes that animate him. He tells you the reason he saves. He tells you why grace is active in the world. That's exciting to me. 
And it seems to me that, you know, as we try to figure out motives, sometimes we're trying to figure out what people are doing and what they do, maybe even the value, moral value of what they do is determined by us figuring out what the motives are. Is that true with God? Could that be true with the Almighty? Hmm. What can we find out about God's purposes? <laughs> I, 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 this is what's so exciting. Look in verse 4, and then verse 7, and then verse 10. In verse 4, in verse 4, we're introduced to one of God's deep, animating purposes. But God, being rich in mercy, what? Because of his great love with which he loved us. And right out the gate, we're introduced to a profound motive that exists in a purpose, an intention that exists in God Almighty. That's love. Pure, straightforward, and even great love. It's big love. It's mega love. It's love on steroids. It's love square. It's love eternal. Love. God plays his hand. I'm a lover, he says. This is who I am. You want to understand what I do? Look at who I am. And the first, and in fact, perhaps the most ultimate of all purposes is right there. For God so loved the world. What's the second one? Look in verse 7. Look in verse 7. In verse 7, there's language that he wants to show in the coming ages. Now, this is a this is something that happens again and again, in, in particularly in Ephesians, but also in other books of the Bible, where where the commitment that God has a purpose, and the second purpose is a strange one we're going to look at, and it's the purpose of making a point. Like making a point with everybody, <laughs> including angels, demons, people who have gone before, people of the past, people of the... I in, in the sense, God will answer all humanity in every objection. And the third, there's a third purpose running here. And this is in verse 10. And that's just to get stuff done. <laughs> he has a purpose, and that is to get his love real. Get, get, it, get, it, get, it, get it tangible. Get it, get, get it so something you can feel, touch, taste, and express, and see in the world. That's his third purpose. Now, he has other purposes all over the scripture, but these, these three right here in this text. These three. Oh, why, why are we looking at the purposes of God? I think as we will gaze and study and look at what drives an eternal being to act in this world on our behalf or on anybody's behalf, well, I think I'd want to know that, wouldn't you? In fact, if you know what motivates somebody, it's a form of leverage against them, isn't it? It's a form of leverage. It gives, you a, it gives you a way of getting at what they really want. And if you know what they really want, well, you can play on that. You know, our God actually enjoys that kind of byplay. He enjoys that kind of conversation. <laughs> Praise him. All right, let's just take a look at it then. Let's take a look at the first one. Let's talk about the great love with which he loves us. So God saved us because in this first why that we're looking at, this first why, just because he loves us so much. The love with which he loved us. Now, we've been, we've been looking at language, agape. Remember, remember uh, the New Testament writers are in a quandary. 
They're trying to bring the good news to the Greek world. And, and, and they know Aramaic and Hebrew. And in Aramaic and Hebrew are expressions of love, selfless, beautiful, triumphant love. And that word doesn't exist in Greek. So they borrow one. They grab agape. And they fill it with all of the content. Fill it and jam it full. All the content of Old Testament hesed. Loving kindness. Faithful. Endless. Towering. Eternal. Love. World without end. That's the way the Old Testament talks about the love of God. There was no equivalence in the Greek pantheon or the Greek language. They come up with agape. And you know what I love about this? Look at the, look at the language of verse 4. His loving love. <laughs> and we've looked at this before. There's a sense in which God wants you to understand that his love is something exponential. It squares itself. You see, it, it enlarges itself. It, it is in its own place endlessly becoming eternal. Like, it can't help it. It participates in him. And it is so great. I was thinking about the greatness of his love, even as Paul's been talking about it. Remember in verse, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, in love he what? Predestined us. That's the previous use of the word love here. What, about the, what is the greatness of this love? It's ancient. It's ancient. And an ancient love before the universe was created was an act on Spencer's behalf and mine. It's a great love. We can look at that greatness. We can try to describe it in terms of size, perhaps in terms of duration, in constancy. We can look and study its greatness. But I'm kind of intrigued by a feature of the word great here. This particular word, great. It's an interesting word in the Greek because it doesn't, it's not the usual mega word. It's a different word. And it means actually, originally it means many. Many. It actually comes from the root poly. Many. You ever heard of polygamous? Many, many wives or having many spouses. This is the same root. Many love. Isn't that odd? Because they, 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 they translate it in this text, in the ESV. They're translating great as an adjective. But many, I guess it's an adjective, but it's not the same kind of adjective, right? It's a quantitative, not a qualitative adjective. Great is a quality. Many is a quantity. So which one is it? Oh, you have God. You can't tell. Do you get that? And this is kind of, when we get to the point of an eternal God, how shall I distinguish between the size and immensity of his love and the extent and its perfect quality? I can't distinguish them, can I? Because they both exist perfectly and completely together. Great love. Big love, baby. Bigger than you guess. More perfect than you imagine. This is why God saves you. <clears throat> now, I think this many is meant to say something very, very particular. In the previous words, he talked about how you were once children of wrath. All y'all, all y'all, including me, three fingers back at me. We were all under God's wrath. But now there's a many love in the world. What's a many love have to do with that? I think that one of the things that God is eager for us to know is that for each one of us, he has his undivided love and attention. All the time. 
Who can do that? Who can have an undivided attention for Katie, an undivided attention for Corey, an undivided attention for Jack, and an undivided attention for Joyce, all at the same time? The only person who's close to being able to multitask like that is my wife. And I'm not talking about my wife. It's God. That many love, I love, God never stops delivering to you personally all of the quality of an eternal love and all the size of an eternal love and all the con Oh, it makes me want to reach into it and just reach in because you see, there's, you are never, you will never under any circumstances ever be lost in the crowd, whether there be a billion people before the throne. Our Father will be able to look right down that and Jesus, anybody, any other three will be able to look at it and say, oh, there's Corey, I see him. I'm talking to Corey right now. Never think that in God's eternity, in his vastness, in his ancientness, he is the ancient of days, that he is anything less than immediately, personally, greatly in love with you. <laughs> you in particular. You, Clay. I pick on you because it's so unlikely, isn't it? Praise him. The only person to whom it's more unlikely than you is me. Praise him. It's a great love. All right, let's go on. As we introduce these purposes, these purposes are meant to encourage us. As they draw us into the very nature of God and his love and the loving love with which he loves and the ways in which he does things, as he plays out intentions as more ancient than the universe, and we're the object of those intentions. We are the goal of those purposes. What a, what a, what a love. All right, what about the second intention? The second intention is an odd one, I think. Actually, the second intention is kind of weird, because I think the second intention, this idea that God wants to make a point, he wants to, sorry, he wants to make a point. He spends this again and again, and, 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 and let me tell you something. You don't, you don't really understand the universe. I'm just telling you, you really don't. We, we really don't get the universe. Let me tell you about the universe. This is something that happens in the universe that no scientist has ever observed or ever will observe. It occasionally occurs that the spirits in this world appear before the Almighty to give an account of what they do. And this is true. Even the demons must obey. I'm sure they hate it. I'm sure they hate it all their hearts. But they must. It's written in the book of Job in the first chapter. That when the spirits of God appeared before God, one of the spirits of God, this is our enemy, this is this demonic enemy, enemy points out Job and pointing out this whole story here. What's the point here? You ever heard that expression, the world's paying attention? Like, no, the universe is paying attention. Michael, the archangel, Paying attention. Gabriel is paying. They're all paying attention. Because this place is that important. 
how do I know it's so important? How do I know this universe and this earth and this, this ball, this, this particular place and time and us are that important? It's because Jesus, because of Jesus, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him won't perish or be destroyed, but will have eternal life. That's how, that's how important matter is. That's how important what flesh does. Jesus had to die. It's no game, life and matter. Now, but even there, the scriptures talk about other people, other beings watching the cross. Do you know that? The scriptures talk about other beings watching the cross. Some of those beings are trying to understand it. Some of those beings hate it. Now, in, in Romans 2, it says that at the judgment seat of God, every mouth will be like this. Now, what's the idea here? It's not that everybody's just shut up. It really means that everybody has been shut down. Does that make sense? Like, it's not that you've been shut, it's shut down. In other words, everybody has been truly answered. Oh God, where were you when my sister died? Where were you when the divorce came through? Where were you when I was molested? Where were you in Fort Myers this past week? Where were... And I swear by God Almighty himself, he will explain every one of those in Kent and tell you about the economy of his grace. Yes, he will answer every you know what the, their outcome will be? Exactly what Abraham said. The judge of all the earth has done right. And when God saves a sinner like Corey, how will the judge of all the earth have done right then? Well, Corey will say, look at Jesus, the sacrifice for my sin. Okay, I'll do that, says the farmer. But everything's been don't you get that? Everything has been answered. Everything. I don't know about you. I'm real thankful for that. <laughs> you know, I, we have to live in a lot and walk in a lot of darkness in this world. A lot of stuff we don't know. A lot of stuff we don't even understand about ourselves, right? You do stuff you don't even understand, right? Aren't you glad there's someone who understands it all the way down to the atomic level? Who understands it all the way down? Now, you could say, why doesn't God explain more to us? I don't think the Bible's big enough. I think we need more time and room. <laughs> There's, we need more <laughs> information. That could be but I think more than that, God gives us something better than just explanations, doesn't he? Well, God gives us something better than just explanations, doesn't he? God gives us his love, his son, his glory, his intimacy, his friendship. Praise him. That's just. But your friendship with God, Scott, is an answer to some accusation against him by somebody. And he will prove his point, won't he? He's making a point to us. 
kind of like that idea. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of being part of God's show and tell. He's going to pick me up and like puts me here in front of you all. And he goes, look at that big sinner I love. And you guys all go, oh, yeah, we can, we can know Jesus too. And then he puts me back on the shelf. That's what God does. I love him for that. I am bearing witness in this moment. You have places to go bear witness too. Bear the great testimony. And to answer every objection. <laughs> yes. But let's look at the final, the final reason. God likes to get stuff done. <laughs> you know, the ten, ten, God finally plays his hand in a way that is hands, right? He plays his hand in a way that becomes your hands. And that is, he prepared things in advance for us to do, to walk in them. Now, if you notice this, as one we were created in Christ Jesus. Right here at this moment, you know, it's funny that when it comes down to us being good people, God even doubles down on the fact that it's all grace and it's all him and you don't have to worry, don't, don't think, don't fret, don't worry, don't worry. I think about this last one. I, you, know, you know, you know what happens in staff meetings sometimes? It happens with every new staff member, that person I read as an admin. I always have this conversation. And I always talk to, ministers always talk about it. And it's that 80-20 principle. It's the whole volunteer problem. You know, like 80% of the work is only done by 20% of the people. Have you heard the Pareto Principle? 80. Not in our Father's kingdom. If you're content with 80-20 percentages, that 80% of the work here is done by 20% of the people, then go somewhere else. I'm serious. Just go somewhere, some people, some, go somewhere that people, you can get the service, the full service church you want. Because I want, to don't be, I don't, I want us to be serving others, not ourselves here. That's the way of the kingdom. But um, works prepared in advance for you to do them. <laughs> well, this conversation about volunteers, I want to finish that up. So the conversation often goes like this, though. How do you get people to do stuff? Like, just how do you get people to do stuff? Serious. How, how do you motivate people? Uh, this is a real riddle in the church. I, uh, and there, 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 are some, there are some old, there are some old, old and tried and true methods that, that are completely ineffective but are used repeatedly over and over in the church. And these are these two, carrots and sticks. Carrots and sticks. Let me give you a carrot. All the carrots are rotten and all the sticks don't work. But it doesn't matter. We still do them anyway. Here, let me, let me offer you a rotten carrot. Uh, that sounds so bad when I even say it. But what, what's a carrot? What's something that's going to motivate you to, 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 oh, wait. If I volunteer at church, I get to spend more time with Chris. That's a rotten carrot, but maybe, maybe it smells good for a second. Maybe it looks good from a distance. Those kind of things, they don't motivate people like you think they would. They, or if they do, they just serve a very temporary self uh, self-need, right? Something selfish, something you need, something you need to manipulate, something you need to do. That's all they wind up doing. They wind up becoming these short-term attempts to just control behaviors. Ugh! I want something better from you, in you, and in me. I want something created in Christ Jesus. I want the miracles. I want the power. I want the presence. How, how, how wonderful it is that one of his motives was to get you up off your butt doing stuff for him, with him, and in him. 
Isn't that wonderful? And how much do you have to do? What's the performance? How high is the bar? What are you going to have to do in this text? This is so wonderful. I, pretty much, you just need to, you need to show up. How did, how, did, how did you get all those evangelistic opportunities, brother? We prayed, and then you found them? No. Nope. You just showed up. That's my game. You follow the stories of Paul and Peter as they show up for what the Father has appointed. This is a place you're supposed to show up all the time. Yes, worship is a place of holy reverence where God loves and loves to be adored and show his glories. And Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you said you're going to go to church, do those things. And they're good for you. But you know what's funny? Ah. I recently... I've recently had a chance to, I've recently been blessed with times of prayer with God that I haven't had in a long time. Um, I'm 99.99% sure uh, that every part of that comes from God. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a little time. Praise Him. I've had this experience, Corey and I had it together. We both had the experience at the same time that we were doing what God was doing through us. I love that. <laughs> you know why I love this? You know why I love this verse so much? You know why I love what this offers in this verse? Not only do you have to just have to show up because it's all God and it's all his work. Not only is it, is it a picture of his wonderful, loving grace active in the world. Get this. It, it lets you off the hook. But It just takes out all the fear factor, doesn't it? It just doesn't. And, and here, here, let me tell you something I, I don't like about being a pastor. There's a lot of stuff I don't like. But one thing, my, the thing I hate the most is being people's hero. You, you want to you get me out of a, you want to get, drive me away? I hate that idea. I hate it so much. Jesus is the hero. I'm not the hero, right? And, I can believe in any story in which I'm not the hero and Jesus is. And that's all the stories that are told in verse 10. Isn't it? Who's the hero in verse 10? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, it's funny. This last verse, you know, um, you know with, all the, with all the stupid and filthy and ugly and dirty things we do, and, and the sins that we commit and fall into and get trapped by and get stuck in and get hurt by. And a lot of times what sin does is it, it, is it really, you know, sometimes I've, I remember hearing this years ago that, you know, Satan really doesn't, it's never really the goal just to get you to sin. That's, that's the easy part. It's just after you sin, you, you, you're tempted to give up trying, right? Or you, or you, you attack yourself because you failed again. You think it's not worth trying. What's the point of me trying to be a good person? I just fail over and over and over again. And I get very, do you get discouraged? I, I've gotten discouraged by this before. And one of the things that's happening as God's doing that is he's teaching, he's training, he's training you to not trust yourself, to not trust your resolve, to not trust your strength, to not trust your, your smarts, to not trust your resolve, to not trust how strong you are. 
but to learn to trust him and the works he's prepared in advance. And to not be afraid to go to places that look scary because he's prepared in advance things for you to do. Now, so what I'm going to invite you to do is start praying that God will show you what they are when they come up. <laughs> so it's not a whole lot of use if you don't even recognize them when they occur. But ask our Father to show you. And we can start cashing in on this. Cashing in on what? Cashing in on what? We are allowed, as the children of the King, to address our Father's motives and ask based upon them. Even challenge him. The prophets do this. You said your motive was love. Is this love? I've said that to God. It doesn't feel like love. You said your motive was to bear witness to the, to the host and to the all of creation that you were the true God. You, need, you know what that means? You need to heal my hypocrisy. Right? If you're trying to make a point with me, Father, make it. Praise him. Let's find out. Let's find We can harness. He wants holiness in the world. Okay, Father. Okay, Father. Are you going to make good on your intentions or not? You know, I am. Um, One of the things that happens a lot in um, crime, like, like this movie, the crime shows, trying to figure out intent. It's amazing how much intent feeds whether something is even a crime. Isn't that amazing? Like, something could be a crime or not be a crime solely based on the intent of the action. Oh, look around you. Look around you. you your world is filled with the works of God. Some of them are discipline, some are blessing. All of them are Him. All of them are Him. And you need to learn that to, to decipher and decode and see and have, give, ask God to give you eyes to see how these intentions are playing out in your life right now and how they can, they can play out in even bigger ways. Ask God to make good on His intentions with and let's see what he does. I don't know, guys. I think if we would engage the Almighty the way Abraham does, what are your intentions? If your intentions are this, how about this? That is a living relationship with God. And that's what he tells you his purpose is. Isn't that what he's inviting you into? A dynamic, living relationship? And not a sterile, an empty one. Praise him! Let's pray.